we as a church body last night had the opportunity to um, share and watch the movie Tortured for Christ, um, which is a pretty powerful uh, testimony of the life of Richard Warmbrand and his family uh, who lived in Romania. And he spent 14 years in prison underneath the Russian occupation. And he and many other believers suffered pretty tremendously for their faith. Um, I strongly encourage you to watch it. We live in a technological age, www.torturedforchrist.com. Um, and it will, uh, I couldn't speak after it was over, actually. Um, some of the goals of the mission committee, actually two of the main goals of the commission, mission committee, is uh, to keep us informed kind of what's going on with our own missionaries, um, as well as a goal of the persecuted church. Um, a reminder of a couple handouts we have back on the kiosk. We have out the missionary support booklet that we put out that has the missionaries that we directly support. And on a monthly basis, we also try to get out from open doors uh, the uh, what's going on in the persecuted church and things you can be praying for around the world. Um, part of our goal of that is to keep us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, we in the Western church really tend to be comfortable. Um, we live in a free country where we have so much freedom and so much ability to make our own choices and do what we do. Um, and obviously many folks in the rest of the world do not have that opportunity. Um, and very strongly, uh, the reminder is when any part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Um, we need to be aware, we need to be engaged, and we need to be praying for our church uh, and for our brothers and sisters across the globe. Um, we've asked a couple of folks to share this morning kind of their brief insight and to, and to lead us in some prayer. So we're going to start that off with Kalia. Well, I had the privilege of being able to watch the movie Tortured for Christ last night, and it was really emotional. There's a lot of things that you don't really think about because we're so privileged here, and we just get to come to Sunday service and be all together and be with our family members and our friends, and we get to talk about our weeks, and we get to talk about God, and um, it was just really intrigued, well, intriguing and heartbreaking to see that there's people who are just out there trying to profess their faith to the Lord, and they can't. Like, this man was in prison, and all he could do was love God. And I just thought that that was so profound, that his faith was so strong, and he believed in God's sovereignty so much that he endured through all of that and knew that the Lord was going to um, persevere with him, not just through him. And I just thought that that was really insightful. There's a lot of things that we take for granted here, such as our Bible. That's like a really big one. There was people who were ripping pages out of their Bibles to carry around the streets with them. And it was um, really like really not sinful, but really unlawful. And so to think about how much privilege we have to just be open and to be free to um, fellowship with one another and to be able to profess our faith and share it so that other people may be led to the gospel, like, it is honestly and truly a privilege to be able to pick up your Bible and to be able to read in peace and to not live in fear and to not live in devastation because of your faith for God. I just think that it was just really moving for me to watch that and to be able to um, just have a higher level of appreciation for the freedom that we have here, for the ability to worship our God and to be able to lead others to Christ is so, we're just, we're privileged. That's all I can say is that we're so privileged. So I just really encourage you to be thinking more about those things, that there are people who 
suffer in silence and they suffer for Christ. And I just think that that is so motivating and so moving because we are comfortable. We're comfortable where we're at. We're comfortable with our church events and our church functions. But are we really loving people? Are we really showing people Christ's love? Are we really able to endure through hardship? Like this guy was being tortured every single day. He was in solitary confinement for three years. And every day he woke up, he had, what was it? 365 verses in the Bible for um, fear. There's 365 verses in the Bible that speak on fear. And he had one for each and every single day. That was his first thought going into this encampment was, I, j I have a verse for every single day of the year. I'm going to get through this. God is going to get me through this. And so I just really wanted to share that with you guys because it was on my heart. And it was just really profound to me to um, just think about something that I hadn't really thought about before. The fact that I'm just... I'm so privileged to be able to read my Bible, to be able to spend time with all of you, to be able to post on my Facebook that I am a believer in Christ. Like, that is just so, it's just a privilege and it's a freedom. And I think that we all um, should be thinking of ways and, and the skills that we've been given to be able to lead others to Christ. So that's what I have to share today. Thank you, guys. Do you want me to pray right now? Okay. Well, we're going to take, I thought we were going to pray together, but we're going to take a second to pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I just thank you for um, being able to see this movie, Lord, that others have gone before us and they have suffered in your name, Lord God, that we can just see that movement in the body, Lord. And I just pray that um, these people here today would be encouraged to watch that movie, Lord, and um, just be able to see your goodness and your faithfulness and your sovereignty in that in that man's story, Lord God. And I just pray that we would be more mindful of the freedoms that we have to worship and love you, God, and that we would be taking more time out of our day each and every day and all, and every single way that we can, Lord, that we would just be praising you and worshiping you, Lord, and speaking the gospel to as many people as we can in any way that we can, Lord, because we are capable and we are able, Lord. And I pray that for the people in here today that they would feel encouraged, that they would feel motivated, that they would feel um, just your guidance with them and just your push to step outside of that um, fear, Lord God, that we would just be courageous in you, Lord God, and that we would rise up as a body, Lord, and be able to continue to lead people to your name, Lord God. And I just thank you. I just praise you so much for the ability to openly worship you and openly praise you and just have a relationship with you, God. I just thank you so much for these freedoms. And I pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. We have one more person to share, which is Carol Wilder. Can you hear me? Okay, okay. I'm not used to doing this, but um, I came reluctantly last night. Hope I can get through this without crying. <laughs> It is not an easy, it was out of my comfort zone to come. And I guess out of most of yours, because there weren't very many people here, but the, even from several churches, we were here. And it was not an easy film to watch. Um, I thought I would be able to do it and um, get through it, but it was hard and it hurt. And as I watched, tortured is kind of an understatement, I think, for what 
this pastor endured and others who were believers in Romania in that time where the Russians had come in, taken over Romania. And uh, as the pastor said, he hated the communist system, but he loved the communists themselves. And he had a love for the Russian people. And I'm thinking to myself, could I? Would I? Fortunately, we don't face that here. This is a kind of a two-part thing. It was such a challenging uh, film to watch. Really hard and really hurtful. And then my, my older son has been visiting all week from Long Beach, and his job was to help me clean out, I have a file cabinet as tall as I am, taller than I am. We went through three, he went through three drawers of that and found all kinds of folders and I have bags and bags and bags to dispose of. But one of the folders he found that I'd forgotten all about said Romania on it. And the only Romanian contacts I had remembered up till now is Romanians who moved to Portland, Oregon and opened uh, senior care centers and my, my parents were in one there. They were wonderful caregivers. But I brought back to my memory that in 1993, the Berlin Wall had been down, but in 93, and I'm not sure how long after this was, but the brutal, brutal dictator Ceausescu and his wife, his sister's dad, in Romania, they had uh, been chased down by their own people, shot as they tried to escape the palace courtyard. And so the Romanians, the government changed, they had freedom, and freedom of religion. People from the church that I used to go to uh, Peninsula Bible Church down in Palo Alto, and then there's another branch of that, would send, during the hard days, would send guys over, pastors, and they would teach in home churches, and they'd come back with tales of having to run out the back door while the police were coming in the front door. And now things were different. <laughs> And in 93, when we went over as a team, this was supposed to be one minute, sorry, Brandon, <laughs> but we went over as a team of 21 and we spread out in twos and threes in various places all over Romania. And I thought at the time it was more or less kind of a adventure. But then things were beginning to change. We could go to a little church openly, and Roger taught, the, everybody was teaching, the book of Ephesians. And in our case, we were doing it in a cow pasture where young people were camping in tents and was going to eventually become a youth um, conference ground. And I, last night, watching all the suffering that that the Christians went through, and this one particular pastor in especially, kind of jolted me, really. And I went home, and I went through that folder, and I was reading about the history and the suffering in Romania, and then I 
came across the paper that had to do with our going to Romania. And um, I just thought, and this was a challenge that I had, what a, what a blessing, what a change, and what a price was paid for these people now to be able to um, worship freely. And in the big city of Cluj, which is, was, everybody was hungry for the word of God, and now they could get it. And I don't, I don't know, do we have that hunger here? Do I? I don't think I do. And Bibles were so precious. And um, we were way up by the Ukraine border in a little, little village, a 900-year-old village. And it was an honor to be there, even though our host, the little pa the pastor of the little church there, he spoke a little English, but nobody else did. And so it was a challenge. But I'm so thankful for the price and prices that were paid by the Romanians that went before. And um, so let's just pray. Thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have. And help us not to take things for granted, Lord. It's a gift from you. We are so blessed and so free, at least at this present time, even though we see doors closing and values and morals being challenged and godly ideas and limits placed. Let us be aware, Father. Let me be aware what I can do. I'm not sure. Give guidance by your Holy Spirit to all of us, Lord, for our place in your world at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Carol. So we're going to briefly pray, and then we're, um, Brandon has asked me to read the uh, scripture for this morning. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we do thank you again just for um, your church, God, that you have um, designed, loved, created, Lord. And we just pray that we would re always remember that we are a body. Here in Mount Shasta, we're a body. And we're thank you, thankful that we, we do love well and that we do love each other well, Lord. And we get to be your salt and light here, Lord. And we pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe that we would keep them close, Lord, in prayer and in holding them up. God, bless the message this morning. Thank you for Brandon and for his commitment to you, for his filling of your Holy Spirit. Guide and direct him this morning and, and all he speaks, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, good morning. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and you can stay there. We're going to start breaking down some of the Lord's Prayer this week. We, we started last week with a new series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I hope you are. Uh, it was kind of one of those what not to do sermons last week, right? Here's how not to pray, and uh, we talked about the idea of just what David read this morning. Uh, don't, don't pray standing before people for attention, that you want, you want their exaltation. You want to be uh, awesome in their sight, right? And we don't pray, we don't babble on just with mindless repetition, hoping that those repetitions and that knowledge of, of how much we've memorized will impress God. That's not what we do. We, we instead, we isolate our heart, right? We separate our heart to get in that secret place with God where our heart is totally exposed. And we have that opportunity then to humble ourselves before the Lord, where He can deal with our heart, He can mold our heart, He can change our heart, He can, he can be there to be the person who, who holds it where it needs to be, right? And, and, and then lead us to the next place we, that He wants us to go. So that's what we talked about last week, kind of a preface into this. And, and we had to go there last week because, um, <clears throat> what, I don't know about you, I, I probably know about you, I know about me, for my own memorization of the Lord's Prayer, I mean, I, I memorized it, and even as, as uh, Dr. Holst was reading that. I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely, I wanted to put the V's and the thys and the downs in there, didn't I? Because that's how I memorized it. But how many times have I or you, have we said the Lord's Prayer with mindless repetition? In the same way that Jesus warns us not to say it right before he presents it to us. So we, we have to understand this is a, we, we might, you might say, oh, Brandon's doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. This will be easy, piece of cake, no homework for me. I've got this. Because you think you've got it. Be careful. Because I don't know that we really have it. And I hope that Jesus will help us learn over the next several weeks how to pray. And here's something about our prayers we need to understand as well. Uh, Our prayers will reveal a lot about us. They reveal the deepest convictions that we have about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us. What we pray reveals that. Every word we say in prayer, every idea and concept that we form through prayer, every emotion that flows from our heart is a reflection of what we believe about God and what we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's not weighty enough for you, I don't know what is. So when we, when we go to the Lord in prayer and we, when we approach uh, the scriptures to see how we must pray, we, we better humble ourselves to get in the right attitude and the right, right setting so that we can hear from God Learn from God and then, then pray appropriately to our great God. Amen? So a couple of questions I want you to ask yourself. As we go through this entire series, a couple things I want you to be asking yourself and I want to ask myself. And this is, this is maybe for a lot of us that are the, the ones who have, have memorized this as kids and, and it's, been, it's stuck with us forever, right? We need to ask these two questions just as much as anybody else. But this is for everybody. First question is this. How might Jesus be correcting a spiritually bad habit that I have in prayer. 
Like, how might, how might Jesus be using the Lord's Prayer to help correct a spiritually bad habit that I have in prayer? I think that we develop bad habits in prayer. I think we can start a prayer off, and before we're even halfway done, basically we've said something that is, is not even from our heart, but just from repetition of how we start prayers. Right? We need to take a time out, pause, breathe, compose our thoughts, compose our heart, and then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So what is he going to teach us that we need to change? Uh, the second thing is how, is, how is Jesus going to be challenging my prayer life or my beliefs about him as he invites me into this pattern of prayer? How is he going to challenge me to change my prayer life or my, or my thoughts about and my beliefs about him, given his instruction of this pattern of prayer? I think sometimes we approach God as, as a genie in a bottle, don't we? And I'm not sure that's how he wants to be approached when we look at the Lord's Prayer. But, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes the times I pray are the times I need something, right? God, I need something now. God, help me. God, help. Oh, God, help this person. And I just, right away, I go into this mode of I'm going to God to get something. And story, instead of going to God to be on my knees and to give him all the exaltation that he deserves first. Is God a good father? Yes, he is. We'll see that today. God does want to give us what we need and supply our needs. And he does care about what we need. But we start a little too quickly, I believe, with our needs before we exalt God first. So today we're going to be talking about our Father in Heaven. That's the title of the sermon. Uh, it goes right along with the first part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven. So but before we get diving deep into that, what we need to understand about the phrase, our Father in Heaven, we need to understand that prayer begins and ends not with the needs of people, but with the glory of God. Prayer begins and ends with the glory of God, not the needs of people. So we have to be a people of God, God's people, who when we approach God, we make sure God is in the place of God, and that we are in the place of His creation, His beloved, His adopted, but still not God. We aren't God. So we lift Him up first, and as we approach God in prayer, it should be that we are primarily concerned with finding out who God is, right? what God wants from us, and how he might be glorified through our lives. See, that's a, that's a whole selfless way to go to God, isn't it? It's a different way than, than going, God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I'm really, this is on my heart, what do you think? No, we go to God saying, God, teach me more about who you are. Show me what you want from my life and in my life. And how can your glory be revealed in a more powerful way? That's what we do when we say, our Father in heaven. We are exalting God, saying, God, I want to take my, my will, and I want to line it up into conformity with your will. I want to humble myself before you so that I am doing and being the hands and feet of Jesus and not doing my own thing. So the intention of the Lord's prayer, by the way, Jesus gave us a pattern of prayer or a structure of prayer but it's a structure of our own prayers. It helps us structure our own prayer. Uh, he didn't give us a prayer to recite, and that's we see the, the text right before it. Make sure we know this isn't a, just a, a prayer we just recite because we, we have the words to it. We have to look at the structure and say, what, what, is, he, what is the pattern, uh, what is the truth that's here that, that we need to be revealing in our own heart and embracing from our heart as we approach the Lord in prayer. And as we warned last week, we were warned last week, right, by Jesus, it, it's all about the posture of our hearts before the Father. Prayer has to do with the posture of our hearts before the Father. He doesn't want you to come to Him with pride. 
or an ego or, come, or pray, pray in front of people in a way that says, look how great I am, look how eloquent I am. He wants us to come humbly before him as King of kings and Lord of lords from a humble heart, seeking only that which he can give us. All right? So let's pray, and we'll get into our text, okay? Father, thank you so much that you are a good father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to win us to yourself, God, to draw us to yourself, that he paid a debt for us that we could never have done on our own. We thank you for the righteousness that he's offered and that we, we can only have through Christ. We pray today as we look to your word that you would open our hearts and our minds, that God, you would be challenging us. We know you will, and God, it's not comfortable all the time. So God, I, I just pray that you would help us to humble ourselves right now and open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your truth. And God, that you would challenge us and change us, you would shape us and conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So we're talking about our Father in heaven. So let's, let's look at some things that our Father in heaven uh, is showing us through the Lord's Prayer, through this model prayer. For us, by the way, we call it the Lord's Prayer, right? But it's really the disciples' prayer, isn't it? Because the disciples went and asked, how should we pray? Or teach us, then, Lord, how to pray. So he gave the disciples a prayer. So it's the disciples' prayer. And then a lot of people, maybe in your heading of your Bible, it says the model prayer, right? The model prayer. It's how, how we should model our prayers. It's a, it's a pattern. It's the way we can structure our own prayers around. So let's, let's tackle it. Our Father in heaven, number one, is he is our Father. Our Father. That word our, you know, when we talk about prayer, it's usually me, quiet, on my own, in my own spot. It's me and God. But Jesus right away starts to model something a little different. There are no eyes in this prayer. This is our Father. Our Father. And, and, and we'll see why, why that's important. You know, prayer is about developing intimacy with God, right? A closeness with God. But one of the first things Jesus is reminding us about here when he says our Father is that when we enter into a relationship with God, we also enter into a relationship with God's people. Do you understand that? Do you get that? There's a depth to that. So yes, there is an individual aspect to coming to faith in Christ Jesus. That God, the God of the universe, is drawing each of us individually, stirring in our hearts individually to save us. And that you and I individually need to respond with faith, with belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that he could atone for our sin individually. We can't do that for you. You have to do that. And Jesus then saves you and sets you apart. He adopts you as a son or daughter, and he makes you a part of a family so that now you understand you are not in it alone. You are not just his special one, that we are his sons and daughters. We want to develop, develop this intimacy with God. We have to understand there's intimacy and relationship to develop with God's people. We are saved by Christ, and we are saved into his body, the church. All right? Turn to the book of Galatians. You can keep your finger here. The book of Galatians, chapter 4. I know we did a series on Galatians uh, several months ago, maybe last year. You can check out the more context for that there. Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 and 5, and we're going to come back to this. You might stick another ribbon there or your bookmark. Verses 4 and 5. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. 
See, there's this adoption that God is offering, saying, listen, I, I want to make you part of our family. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. You think about, think about adoption. Think about foster care. In, in the foster system, when you, when, if you're in a foster home, you aren't part of a family. You're one, maybe a number, a person, individual, in a larger household that has certain needs, but you kind of have to isolate and be all by yourself. And you, you can look at this and ask stories of people who have been adopted. Maybe you are one. It, it's not necessarily, most foster homes or, or group homes like that or orphanages are not a big family. But your, your desire, the longing is that you would eventually find a forever family. Now here, here's what happens with Christians. We, that's the same thing we are. We're lost, we're, we're separated, we're trying to find a forever family. And God saves us and says, come on in, welcome home. And we come into his family. Now listen, when, when we come into his family, we should not then go isolate ourselves away from the family and be all by ourselves again, kind of wondering, am I ever going to find a forever family? Right? That's what you're saying. So in the body of Christ, when we, when we come to Christ, come to faith in Christ and say, well, I don't, I don't know if I need the church, I'll kind of sit this one out. You are jipping yourself and the church. This is a family. And, and I, two weeks ago, I preached on this, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about what the body of Christ was to be and how we were to operate together as the body and the love we're to, to show and the care we're to have for one another in the body. This, this is something big. It's not just, yay, God rescued me from my sin and saved my soul, so now I'm his. I don't have to have anything else to do. It's just always me and him. No, he saved you into a family. So when we pray, we, we ought to be mindful and be reminded every time we say prayer, our Father. He's our Father. He's not just my Father. He's our Father. And He's a good Father that unites us as a family of God. And it should drive us to our knees to, to, to pray, our Father. Am I being a good our? Am I being, being a good family member? Am I participating and helping and, and doing what I need to do to, to help, help God, help my Father God in the family? Right? Jesus emphasizes from the beginning, that we are a part of a corporate people called the church, our God. Our. So God is not merely my father. He's your father as well. He's our father. We are all brothers and sisters in our faith. I want to read uh, just through a list to you. It's the one another's. I call it the one another's. Th this is what our means, right? This is what the Bible exhorts us to do together. It says love one another. Serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, devote yourself to one another, build trust with one another, be patient with one another, be interested in one another, be accountable to one another, confess your sins to one another, live in harmony with one another. Do not be conceited toward one another. We're halfway there. It's okay. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be, be humble toward one another in love. Be compassionate toward one another. Do not be consumed by one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble toward one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another and carry one another's burdens. Is there any surprise, Jesus said, when you pray, you pray to our 
Father. He is our Father. And as we talk about the persecuted church, and we, talk, we have prayer for that. When one suffers, we all suffer. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? When we suffer, we should we weep with those who weep, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's about being together, about being the family of God. He is our God. He is our Father. So one of the most fundamental spiritual identities that we have in Christ. Now, now listen, the most spiritual identity, the most, the most sacred one we have in Christ is that I am in Christ, right? But after that, the spiritual identity that we have in Christ is not an I, but it's a we. We are found in Christ, that we are the family of God. Now, listen, I, I know one of the commentators, as I read and I studied this, one of them said, no, there's no I in prayer at all. You never pray with I. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And, and I, it's not. I mean, scripturally, there are plenty of instances with, when people pray to God for themselves or, or for other people. But there was a, definitely a, this is what I'm talking about. But, but what Jesus is telling us is when we go to the Lord in prayer, we understand that he is our father. And there's such a bigger, bigger intimacy that can be developed between God and with God's people towards God than we could ever imagine if we would set our hearts in, in, on the understanding that we are not in this alone. That we are not to isolate ourselves away from our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not an I, it's a we. Okay? Our Father. What else about our Father? Well, He wants to be known. Number two, He wants to be known as Father. He wants to be known as Father. Right? Back to Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to reiterate this all day long here. And keep your finger on Galatians. We'll be right back. Matthew 6, 9. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Now, I, I want us to be clear about this because uh, I think the world, at least our culture in, in our part of the world, would say, you know what, it's all good. We're all God's children. Just let bygones be bygones. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. It's like this universalism that we're all God's children and all of our little paths eventually lead back home to God. We can... Like we're going up the mountain, and eventually we'll all find our father up there on the mountain. That's hogwash. That's not true. In, in a sense, it is. As far as the creation of God, we are all the, uh, the creation of God. And in that sense, by, by just being created beings in his image, yes, he is our father in that sense. The father of creation. But there is no benefit to, to a child in that view of that in creation with the Father until He comes through the Son. Until Jesus has paid it in full and we have trusted in Christ in full, we cannot be grafted into the family of God by Christ. And we are children of wrath, Scripture says, and under judgment because of sin. So yeah, we can say, yeah, oh, we're all children of God. Yes, but are you going to be adopted? Are you going to be grafted in? You were made to be. You, I mean, yeah, you're, you're created in God's image. But God is longing for you to repent of your sin, to turn away from your own heart, your own evil, your own wicked, from your own, your own creations or his creations, and turn to the creator and say, I, I need you. I need you to fill me up. I need you to be, be my God. I can't, I can't do it on my own anymore. And we exhibit faith and trust in Christ as Savior. And he saves us. He forgives us, right? And in doing that, he grafts us into the family of God. I want to continue back in Galatians, if your, your finger's there still, chapter 4. I want to read uh, 4. Uh, verse 4 through um, 7 now. We'll reread the first two verses there. Uh, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So there's a way that we can become adopted, right? Be part of the family of God. It's through the redemption of Christ. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. You see, that, that's, that's how we're grafted in to the family of God. It's through Christ Jesus and the atonement he offered on the cross. That's how we're grafted in. That's how we receive the, the, the eternal reward in Christ and, and to be with God forever in heaven. We have to be sons and daughters. It's through Jesus Christ. And, and what a wonderful thing. He says, you know, see, he's our father then, but he says what, what? When we're saved and, and the spirit comes into us, what does it enable us to do? The spirit comes into our hearts crying what? Abba, Father. He's our Father. He's our Father. And we can run to Him as Father. And we can only relate to God as Father because we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Creation can't have that. Only the sons and daughters who have been grafted in by the Spirit of God through Christ, the atoning work of Christ. We are not children by, by virtue of being His creation, Right? but because our Father has adopted us through His Son, by His Spirit, and for His glory. Amen? He's our Father. Now, now listen, he, Jesus is modeling this. He says, I want you to pray in this way, our Father in heaven. And, and I, know, I know I've heard a lot of stories and a lot of people's testimonies about this. I know it, it's difficult for some people to address God as Father. I think there's two, two prime ways, maybe, probably more. One is, I can't call him Father. He's God. He has to be God. Good. I mean, you're right. He's God. But he has put his spirit within you to cry out to him as Abba, Father. He's your Father. So let's, let's call him Father. Let's, let's embrace him as a Father. He's a good dad. But there's, there's the other people that, that don't call him Father, not because they want to make sure he's exalted as God, but because they can't stomach identifying God with a deadbeat dad they may have had. They can't stomach the fact that, that a father, that in their experience, did this or that or this or the other thing, and they, they just can't handle it. Like, no way, I, I didn't have a dad, or my dad abused me, or my dad, whatever my dad was or wasn't. I'm definitely not going to call God father, because I don't want to, it makes me want to throw up a little bit. That's a wrong view of God. And here, here's why. In things like fatherhood, right, or parental relationships, in things like marriage, right? We tend to work from the, from the bottom up instead of the proper way from the up, up, top down. So we'll, we'll look at a marriage and say, man, that's not how it's cracked up to be. Or man, my, my parents got divorced three times, different, different people, right? I don't ever want to get married. Marriage is, is silly. Because what, what we're saying, right, what we're saying is that that marriage example is the example. Same with fathers or moms, right? Absent dads, abuse, whatever, whatever your background is, whatever your history is. Oh, my father did this. My father was this way. And we say, my father was this way. I can't, I can't even look at fathers anymore. And I, can't, I can, definitely can't address God as a father. Well, you're starting at the wrong spot. You're starting with the wrong example. You're starting with an earthly example to, to tell us about the divine. Instead, it should be flipped the other way, right? That we should look to the divine example to tell us how we should behave in an earthly way. Dads, what greater father figure or example of a father figure is there than God himself? 
That is the bar. That is, that's where the bar has been raised. And we are to exemplify what God exemplifies. And when we're not doing a good job, we still should point to the one that is supreme. Same is true in our marriages. I think it's so important for, for our marriages to be, like, well, there's a marriage in Scripture, isn't there? there? There's Jesus and his bride is what? The church, the, the body, right? And, and that example, Christ's example of his union with the bride, with the, with the church, is our standard and our example of how we should be with our spouses. That's the example. So no matter what kind of example you are looking to, or what it is or what it isn't, the example is Christ and the bride, or the example is our God and Father, right? That, that is our example. Our example is not human in flesh and blood. Our, human is, or our example is from the divine. That's our example. So it, I know it may be tough to call God Father. You might think, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know. Listen, he's the best father you could ever have. He's, he's the best father you could absolutely have. He is, he's amazing. God, and God is always the one that should set the example. Knowing that God is a father to us, he, that he is our father, it should increase our wonder and our joy of being his children. Because he is the perfect father. Every time we open our mouth to pray to our father, we should be reminded of our own adoption into his family. That we have been grafted into Christ and have been placed into an intimate relationship with God and with his family. He's your dad. Go to him as dad. Let him, let him be your dad. Sometimes that stings, right? Sometimes you get disciplined. Lots of times you get rewarded. And how, what are the great gifts? God is, God is wanting to give as a dad. They're great, great things. He's going to have compassion. He's going to have patience. He's going to have direction and guidance. He's going to have discipline. Things that we really need. He is there to provide for us. Number three. So it's our Father in heaven. Number three is God is the God of the universe. He's the God of the universe. And, and it's amazing that when we start our prayer with that, we're starting and praying to our Father who happens to be the God of the universe. I, I love it that I'm still considered a superhero in my home. My kids, I mean, my my son all the time, Dad, you're Hulk. Yeah, I'm Hulk. Hulk. Just don't make me angry, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're, and my wife and I get assigned superhero names all the time. Probably because he wants us to play with him because he's Captain America. But right, imagine having a dad that's a superhero. How much better is it that we have our father? It's, it's not even the kid down the hall. It's ours, our father, is God Almighty, the God of the universe. And Jesus is showing us here that as we come to God as his children and approach our loving Father, we must not forget that our Father is none other than the Lord God Almighty, God of the universe. And the mark of a truly great prayer, when we begin to pray, the mark of a truly great prayer is that it expresses a great awareness of how great God is. It has to start there, guys. It has to start there. I've got to go to God and say, listen, you, you are the amazing one. I am nothing. I am, only, I am only something because you made me something, but you are the exalted one. I am nothing. Commentator Arthur Pink said this. If we're praying to the God in heaven, he says, if we are to pray to the God in heaven, then our souls must be detached 
from all the earth. If we are to pray to the God in heaven, then faith must wing our petitions. And, that, and that's what God is wanting from us, to increase our faith. Not increase our handle on the earth and on what's, what's worldly and what's, what's tangible, because that stuff will fade and just be destroyed. What, what fuels our passion in our life is a faith in the God of the universe who is our Father. Knowing the God, that God, our Father, is the God of the universe shows us that He is great, that He is eternal, that He is infinite, that He is almighty. And it should help us realize, knowing that, those, those awesome characteristics of who God is, and there's tons more we could, we could say, right? But it helps us realize that God's love as a Father then, because He's so awesome, so amazing, so exalted, He's a superhero, divine God of the universe. Because of that, God's love is unchanging. It's unlimited, it's unconquerable, and it's more than able to provide for our needs. God knows what you need. And the first thing you need and what I need is to humble our hearts so we might exalt Him when we go before Him in prayer. I want to read a passage out of Psalm 97, verse 9. It says, For you, Lord, are the most high God over all the earth. You are exalted above all other gods. We understand that, that that's our Father. That he is exalted over all other gods, all everything else. He is exalted. But there's this both and thing going on, right? We, we know he's ours, but he's a father and he's the Lord God Almighty. So then if you want to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, we're, uh, we're done now in Matthew. You can, you can turn from there, go to Isaiah <coughs> chapter 53. Sorry, 57. 57. Isaiah 57. In verse 15. Here, here's what he says. Here, here's, he says, For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this. So that, that's pretty big right there, right? I mean, the description right there is, The high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this. And we'll talk about more on holy next week, because that's the next part of our passage. But here's what he says. I live in a high and holy place. Wow, that's to be expected, right? A high and exalted one lives in a high and holy place. But what does it say next? And I live with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the oppressed. That's our God, right? There's this God that's high and exalted. There's a God that's high and exalted, but, but there's a God that says, but I also, I also passionately want to be indwelling inside of you and meeting your needs for for whatever it is, for your comfort, for your, for your sins to be forgiven, right? For you to, to come out of despair, to take your humble, broken heart and to mend it and to make it new. This is what this Father is longing for. The exalted one over everything is longing for that personal, intimate relationship with you and with me. And that is an amazing thing. God is both highly exalted and the one who dwells within us. And in that promise, we should find this deepest fulfillment that the creator of the universe has become the father to the seemingly insignificant, right? You and I, we're seemingly insignificant. And there's no better father or, more, or, or a better parent more deeply committed to his children than God, the God of the universe. He's a good father. I want to re read a passage out of Luke. It's our last passage. If you turn there with me to Luke chapter 15. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 15. And, and one of my favorite parables in all of Scripture, one of my favorite just passages in all of Scripture is, uh, is this parable or this whole chapter, actually. But I, I want us to see both what the Father looks like in this passage and, and what this Father has the power to bestow upon His Son. And I want you to watch and see how it's, a, it's an illustration, an example of how God is a gracious Father will, willing to use his, his almighty power and bestow to us the strength we need and the weaknesses we have, right? the healing we need and the, and the hardships we face, that God is ready as a Father to do that. So we pick up the story in verse 18 of chapter 15. And, and the son had gone to the father previously and said, I, I, want, I want my share of the estate. I wish you were dead. I want my money. And I'm going to go. And he goes and he spends it. He wastes it, right? He's shamed the father. The father has shamed himself. It's a story of shame. And, and this, this, it continues on. And, and this, this father desired a relationship with the son. So here's what happens in verse 18. He, he'd wasted all his money. And he's kind of coming to his, to his senses. He says in verse 18, I'll get up. And I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So there's this attitude of, of repentance, this attitude of like, I, I, I've got nothing to offer. I'm, I'm lowly. I'm meek. I'm, gonna, I don't, I'm not even worthy to be called his son. I just want to be even a hired man on my, on my dad's land. So he got up, verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And he said to, uh, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he knew right there, right? He knew in that, in that embrace, he knew his father was his father. He knew, because remember, he, he left something out here. He was going to say, make me like one of your hired men. But he said, I'm not, he's, he understood that. His father was saying, yeah, you're not worthy, but I'm your dad. I'm your dad. So he's, he's done the fatherly thing of taking care of him and being tender with him, being compassionate with him, bringing him back into the family. And then this is what he does with his power, with his, his, with his um, uh, prestige, the father. In, in verse 22, the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger uh, and put sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate, right? This is a story not about the son. This is all about the father and how, how the father took the shame and the father had still a compassion and love and supported and how the, how the father in that moment said, I'm going to bestow every good and, good and great gift that I can because I'm, I'm, I'm able and I'll give, you, I'll give it to you because you're my son, right? And our father in heaven is doing the same thing for us as sons and daughters, so for you and I, as we begin our, our prayers by calling on our Father in heaven, right? There, there's a show of unity, that we are a part of a greater body of Christ, that we have a Father in heaven who's, who's compassionate and gracious and is the example of what a Father should be. And it, and it should indicate as we call on our Father in heaven, we have an eagerness to exalt Him first as the God of the universe, and then to run to him as a child, knowing that he loves us. What we'll find is that he is eager to lend his ear and listen, to, to embrace us make, us, make us aware of his presence and his power, and to give us his eternal blessings right, to his children 
if it serves them best, like a good dad should, to give them blessings, if, if it serves their, the children best, and it would bring honor and glory to the Father. So our prayer, as we, as we go before the Father and pray and pray to Him, our prayer should always start with an exaltation of God, that He is our Father. He has brought us in to His family through the precious blood of His Son. And now we are co-heirs with Christ because we have been grafted in to the body and we can exalt Him as, as being the King of kings and Lord of lords before we even say, Lord, this is what I need. Bow our hearts before Him and exalt Him. Amen? All right, let's stand together and have prayer. It's one of those things as we go to have prayer now, we have to really think about it, don't we? Like how, how are we going to pray? And, and I'm the one who's praying, so I've got to really think about it. How do we pray? How do, how do we pray to our Father? Right? From our heart, but we, we go to exalt Him. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you today as, as your children. Not because we earned that place. Not because we knew somebody important on earth. But because of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that he's won for us. That we can be made a part of your family. And not a part in isolation, but a part of the actual body. God, help us to know that. Help us to be that. Help us to believe that. God, the one another's in Scripture are important. God, the, the way we treat one another and the importance we place on one another as the body is important. And God, I thank you that, that you are a father. That you are, you are a father that is the example of what a father should be. God, I, I know there are fathers that, that hurt their children. God, and I know if, as, for myself as a father, I, I, I pray that I would never do that. But God, help me point my children to my heavenly father, that they would see a good and caring and compassionate, gracious God who's ready to, to love them and embrace them where they are and to forgive them. And God, we thank you so much that you are not just well, one of the fathers. You are the father and you are the Lord God Almighty. Keep us humble. May we, may we approach you with, with confidence, but in humility, knowing that you, you are everything we need and we can't offer anything to you to earn our way. We love you. We praise you today. We give you all the glory and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.